Hey, continue standing with me. I promise we're not going to make you stand through the entire service today. Almost. We're going to keep the atmosphere of, of worship uh, as we read the scripture together. I want you to read this out loud with me. We're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes for several weeks. And um, I want you to read uh, out loud. And I think we might be missing some words there at the beginning. But there's a time for everything. And start right there. And a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Is that it? There's a comma. This is the word of the Lord. I'm not looking at my notes. You may be seated. You may be seated. Hey, uh, I want you to, as we get going, I want you to touch your neighbor and tell them, uh, I'm going to help you carry your load. I'm going to help you carry your load. This series, we're talking about uh, a very important topic that often doesn't get talking about. It just gets assumed. And we often don't know how to access the goodness of it. And the topic we're talking about is friendship. And uh, the reality is, is if you're going to have friendship, you need uh, an ecosystem around it to support it. Do you know what I mean when I say an ecosystem? I know I'm taking you back to, you know, seventh grade biology. Uh, An ecosystem is uh, uh, an environment where things work together and they complement each other and they help each other. This is a picture of some bison. Um, it's somewhere out in the plains. I'm not entirely sure where it is out in the plains, but I, I didn't know this about them. But they're, they're obviously they're very big animals, but their hooves are sharp, and so when they're walking, like you see right there, and they're eating, they're they're sharp and almost like a plow. They dig the grass out. Well, you know, uh, you know it's fall, and and if you're a lawn person, um, then you know you're supposed to aerate your lawn. I'm not a lawn person, so I don't aerate my lawn. And that's why it looks terrible. But if you know. You're supposed to do that. You know, you're supposed to aerate it so that the grass can grow. And so the bison do that. That means the grass can grow, which means there are other animals and then other predators and there's prey. And then the the whole thing works together and it creates an environment where life can flourish. Well, friendship is kind of like that. You need an ecosystem. And so this morning I want to talk to you about how as a church we can create an ecosystem together uh, that allows friendship to flourish. This week I got a text message from one of my pastor friends, uh, and he said, hey, you need, to, you need to check out the comments on this Twitter feed. And so he sent me this link, and it was this woman who, uh, has, she calls herself the godless mom, and uh, she, talk, she at one point was a person of faith, and she decided, I don't, you know, I don't believe this anymore, and this is ridiculous. And, and she asked a question, she said, what do you miss the most? If you were a person of faith and you left behind, what do you miss the most? And it was just, I mean... Dozens and dozens and dozens of people responded. And the thing they said over and over and over and over again is they said, I so miss the relationships. I love that people loved me, that people accepted me, that people welcomed me. That there, there's, there's something to that even when you've left 
faith behind. So we're going we're gonna to review real quick. If you've been not with us for the series, we're going to review where we've been and um, talk about how we might get into this. So this, we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about all the times of our life. And this is kind of a research project. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, he's trying to figure out how do you have a meaningful life? How do you make something good out of your life? And uh, basically, the, the writer's saying, listen, your friends are for the times of your life, and they're a gift of God to you to multiply life. Uh, friends are a means of grace. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Maybe if you've been around church for stuff for a while or around Christians, you've maybe heard someone say that phrase. Means of grace. Uh, meaning uh, God's delivery system for grace. And there's all kinds of ways that God delivers his grace to us through through the church, through a healing service like last week, when your family can be a means of grace, a communion and baptism, a good meal with someone that you love, a walk in the woods. Um, but maybe the best means of grace is your friends. Uh, think about it this way if you're taking notes. God uses friends to dispense his grace. So you can kind of think of, this is kind of a silly image, but you can kind of think of yourself as a divine Pez dispenser. Do you remember the Pez? Do you, do you remember, like as a kid, they still sell these, right? You can go buy them and all these different characters or whatever, and then there's the candy and you would pull the head back and it would push the piece of candy out and you're like, oh, thank you very much for the Pez. Uh, you're, you're kind of like that. God, it, because here's God's pattern. If you pay attention to God's pattern, um, all the way through the scriptures and through our lives. The pattern is that God chooses to do his work through people. So when God wanted to reach the non-Jewish people with the message of Jesus, he sent a guy named Paul. When the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, he sent Moses. When God's people were exiled and they were at risk and they were at risk of being stamped out, uh, he sent Esther. Because what God does is he does his best work through people. And so you are God's delivery system of his grace to your friends, and they are God's delivery system of grace back to you. Friendship is a means of grace. Now, let's, let's, let's make sure that we know how to be friends, right? Because we have people in our lives. Got a little diagram here for you of just kind of the circles of people that are in our life. If you could throw that up on the screen uh, in a second. And as I stare at the screen, <laughs> your acquaintances, and that's the slide I'm looking for. Maybe it's not going to come up. Okay, we're, we're, they're awesome, I'm sure. I messed something up sending it to them. Maybe not. Okay. Uh, you know, you go from people being an acquaintance, right? Let's just imagine that we've got circles here. Okay, so out, way out here, you've got people who are acquaintances. You know them, you work with them, you see them at the store. Then maybe you get to know somebody, and you step a little circle in, and you might call those people, uh, you might call them a friend, but they're really someone that you know at a little bit deeper level. We all have that. Then you might step a circle deeper in, and you, you might call these people, these are my people, they're like, those are my circle. Uh, they're, they're the ones that I love. But you and I both know that you can have people that you include in your circle, and they're not all the way in. They're not what I would call a heart friend. And I think we need people at all of those different levels. But what I'm talking about, the kind of friendship I'm talking about, is if you could get to the place where you could have some heart friends. They know, they know what's going on inside of you. 
they still love you. That, that's the kind of friendship that we're talking about. Now, let me, let me give you a little primer um, because sometimes we just need to know practically how to do things, and it really helps. So I've got this ladder here. And, and the people who study how relationships grow, what they say is it's kind of like a ladder. And you take steps. And so you're down here on the bottom, and you meet somebody, one of those acquaintances, and you kind of get to know them. And then, then you do kind of like an audition. It's kind of like a date. Like, do I like this person? Do they like me? Do we share the same things? Are they weird? Um, do they smell funny? Do they look funny? You know, you kind of do that kind of a thing. And then you get a little bit closer to them, you know, and you, you kind of you maybe do something together, and you hang out together. And you go through these kind of stages where you're, you're kind of getting to know them, and then, then they say that if you're going to have a heart friend, you have to take this step right here. Oh, I'm fine. And, and they say that, that if you're going to have the heart friend, this step is the step of being vulnerable and disclosing something about yourself to them. Now, if you don't do that, guess what happens? You go back down the ladder. And you go, very nice to meet you. And you don't ever have heart friends. So if you want to get close to somebody, see, vulnerability is the doorway of true friendship. So friendship grows when you share your struggles, not prove how great you are. Sometimes we don't know how to initiate friendship. And, and I love C.S. Lewis' quote. He said that friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Friendship's not born when you go, you're awesome like I'm awesome. No, no. It's when you get to the place where you say, you struggle with that too? You've been through that same thing I've been through? Now, now some of you uh, will hear this little illustration, and you, you're struggling with friendships, and you're going to go from meeting somebody to trying to jump up on this step and telling them all your worst secrets, and you're going to think that, that when they reject you, you're going to go, but I did what... You said, Scott, and they ran away from me. Well, that's because you got to take it in steps, right? you got to take it in stages because that's why people are running from the hills from you because you jumped from here on the ground all the way up to here, and, and that people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to know if you're okay. <laughs> hang on, hang on. You have to, building a lasting friendship takes time and intention. Now, the writer uh, says that Friends are for times of uh, difficulty and rebuilding. He says tear when, you, when things are being torn down and when things are being built up. And so I, I want to pause and, and talk about that for a second so that we can, we can help each other do that because that's important. Uh, this, this word uh, to tear something down kind of has uh, multiple, multiple meanings to it. Um, it can mean things like when things are broken down. Uh, it can mean when, when you've been broken into it can mean when things have broken out, and all these are negative. All these are negative kind of connotations. So let me, let me just let me unpack this for you so I think, I think this might help you. Um, but when we talk about things being broken down, I'll give you two images of that. I, w- I want you to imagine that um, while we're sitting here, someone went to your home, and uh, they removed your front door. Took it off the hinges, took the lock out, and maybe you have a screen door. Maybe you don't have a screen door. If you had a screen door, they left the screen door. And they said, you know, we want you to sleep tonight peacefully huh, without your front door. How, how are you going to feel? <laughs> you're going to feel vulnerable. And you're going to feel exposed. That's kind of how we feel in life sometimes. Like the front door has been broken down and people are coming at us. Uh, let me give you another engine. And I, I have this going on in one of my cars right now. And I, I promise I will take care of it. Uh, but the check engine light... 
Do you know if you leave that on for too long, your car will break down? Are you aware of that? I'm, I'm apparently not because I've left it on for a week. But <laughs> What happens if you leave that on for too long is the car dies and then you are stranded by the side of the road. And if you're like me and you don't know cars, you don't know what to do. And, and, and that's, that, that's kind of a metaphor for life because that's what happens to us. Something, some, some warning light comes on on the dashboard of life. We, we ignore it. And then we break down and we find ourselves stranded by the side of the road. And we're not a life mechanic who just knows, oh, that's the carburetor. So you got to do this one little thing with a screwdriver. And then you don't know what to do. You're stuck. And you don't know where to go with that. Have, have you ever been broken down like that? If you're human, you, you need to raise your hand right now and go, yeah, I've been broken down like that. I have been broken down like that. And, and what do we feel? Well, we feel all the things, right? We feel confusion and we feel frustration and we feel anxiety. Maybe depression sneaks in, fear, anger. We feel all of the things and it forces on us the life question of how did I get here? I don't, I don't understand. I was going along just fine and then things broke. How did I get here? Now, now. What do you need in the moment that your car has broken down and you're stranded by the side of the road? Do you need someone to show up and give you a lecture on how an engine works? Uh, Do you need a speech about how you should have paid attention to that light and you ignored it and it's your fault? Do Do you need that? Is that very helpful in that moment? Do you even need a really kind and gentle explanation about how to avoid this in the future? No. You need roadside assistance. (laughs) I'm broken down, and here's where I'm at. Please come get me, and then you wait, and then you see that truck pull up behind you, and if they're a good good tech, they, they come up to you, and they say something like, are you okay, and what happened, and how can I help? That's what you need, because life's breakdowns can take so many forms. I mean, the list is almost endless um, because hurt can come at you from any angle. I mean, you can have a roommate breakdown. You can have a job breakdown. You can have a financial breakdown. Your heart can break down. Your body can break down. Your children can break down. Your marriage can break down. I mean, it can be like a full-time job, just avoiding breakdowns. And when you're broken down, you need a friend, not a lecture. Now, parents, this applies to you. This is your kids. They're the same way. If you're a boss, your employees need the same thing. If you're a worker, this is your coworkers. If you're a teacher, this is your students. Now, listen, apply this to yourself for a second. You, this is you. Because many of us, when we broke down, we just, uh, we turn inward and we go, I can't believe you. What's wrong with you? Why are you? You need a friend, not a lecture. So you can break down. Uh, you can break. You can have things uh, where you're, you're broken in. I remember I was in high school, and uh, I, I got the class ring. Do you remember the class ring? We spend several hundred dollars. We wear a ring for a few months, and then we lose it. <laughs> uh, I don't know why we do that, but it's, it's still a thing. And I had the, I had the class ring, and um, it was sitting on my dresser in my room. And I came home one day, and there was a back door, and I heard something in the house. I was like, what is, what is that noise? And I, I went in, and drawers had been pulled out of in my room, and um, I went back into the kitchen, and there was the back door. Someone had kicked the back door in, and what I discovered is that the only thing that they had taken was my class ring, which is, you're welcome for the $150. I don't know what you're going to do with that, but I hope you're enjoying it to this day. Thank you very much. 
If, if you've ever been broken in, how do you feel? You feel violated? You feel unsafe? You feel insecure? A few verses down from this in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, um, the writer gives us this kind of obscure thing. He says there's a time to scatter stones and there's a time to gather them. Most, most scholars think what he's referring to is um, when someone wanted to ruin someone's field or a, an army would come in, what they would do is they would take stones and they would dump them in the farmer's field so that the person couldn't grow anything. And sometimes that's how life feels. Like overnight, someone threw stones in your field. You, f- you feel violated. And friends are for that. Um, you can also have, be, have a breakout, you know, like a plague. Uh, I think we have a picture. Yeah, we do. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, of, the, of the Black Death. This is the plague in the 13th century, and people started dying, and they didn't have modern medicine to explain germs and bacteria and, and all that, and it was a, f- a flea on rats, and they didn't, didn't know this. And, and the plague was absolutely everywhere, and in fact, people at the time said, because it wiped out millions of people, some places 80% or even the entire village would be wiped out by the plague, and they didn't have any way to stop it. And many at the time said, this is what the Bible talked about. It's the end of the world. And, and a plague is when things won't let up, and it's everywhere, and there's a plague on your house, and it's one thing after another, and it's one pain after another. And when it rains, it pours, and you've lost your job, and your car is broken down, and your kid fell and broke his arm, and your dog got sick, and your girlfriend left you, and you're like a walking country song. You know what I'm saying? It feels like the end of the world. You ever felt that way? And friends are for that. Friends are God's means of grace. They're for your breakdown and your break-ins and your breakouts. And, and here's if you're filling in the blank. Friends protect you. Friends cover you. Friends help you heal. But in the words of the writer of Ecclesiastes, pity the one who falls down and has no one to help him up. In other words, it's a sadness of biblical proportions when somebody doesn't have a friend. Now, the writer says that it's a time to build, too, um, because your friends help you construct something else. Maybe they help you construct a new self or a new relationship or a, a new chapter, and that, and that part's easy, but it's also surprisingly not, because all you got to do is post on Facebook that you're getting ready to move from one location to another, and you will see who your true friends are by who shows up. Or if you got to remodel your basement or you got an issue and you say, hey, I got this issue, I got to fix. Will anybody come help me? You're going to pretty quickly find out who, you're, who, who wants to come help you build. <laughs> pretty quickly. And, and friends are for the times of your life and you need friends and you need to be a friend. I think, I think one of the secret weapons of the church that God gave to people is, is friendship. Because it's so powerful. It's such a powerful means of grace. And... Um, Here's, here's what we have to build, is we have to build this ecosystem. It helps people uh, to flourish. And this is how the Apostle Paul said it, and we've talked about this before, and I, I gave you this illustration um, from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Um, he says, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Do you remember, it was a number of weeks ago, we talked about the difference between a backpack and a refrigerator, and I wore a backpack for the whole message. Like, your backpack is what you have to carry, but we all have burdens, things we can't carry, a refrigerator, and we need someone else to come help us. And, and the church is supposed to be a help-you-carry-your-load kind of community. So let me give you, in the time we have left, three ingredients of a life-giving church and how we can continually, we can create an ecosystem where this happens. 
and, and people have friends that are up on this step with them when they're vulnerable. Here we go. First step, uh, first ingredient is we pass on delight. We pass on delight. One of the words that gets used in the scripture for the relationship we have with God is covenant, that God makes a covenant with us. A covenant is different than a contract. We're a contractual society. We have to sign a contract, which means I doubt that you will keep your part. And if you don't keep your part, I'm going to sue you. (laughs) We have very few covenants. One of the only covenants we have left is marriage where we say, I'm committing myself to you. Even if you don't get it right, I'm going to do my part anyway. That's a covenant, that God cuts a covenant with us. In fact, you can read about it in Genesis when Abraham makes a covenant with God in Genesis 15. And this really odd story happens where he has an animal and he cuts the animal in half and then he walks between the halves of the animal. And and what it symbolizes was the birth canal. Some new thing was being formed. Some new relationship was being made. And, and Jesus comes. That's why Jesus dies on the cross and sheds his blood for us. If you know all the story of the Israelite, how a covenant was made in olden times, it made more sense because Christ shed his blood. He, he said, I can, it's like the birth canal. A, a new life is coming, and I'm the one who sheds my, my blood for you. And so God is with us, and he is for us. Now, I want you to make sure you understand um, when God is with us and God is for us, that does not mean that God approves of all of our lifestyle choices. You know you can love somebody and not approve of something they do, right? You know that's possible. What God is for is he's for the best version of us. The Bible's word for that is holy, whole, complete, mature, loving, kind, generous, good, other-centered. Like that's, that's what God's for. He sees that in us and he delights in us. And God does all that. He offers himself on a cross for us because he delights in us because we are his sons and his daughters. I delight in my children. Now, not always. <laughs> but when, I'm, when I've got my emotions in check, even when my kids are not getting it right, I still delight in them. I'm still like, I get to be their dad and I get to help them work through this issue? Now, what you need to understand is that in the same way, but so much more, God delights in you, and God's emotions are always in check. Did you know that? He's not like, I can't believe you did that. What is wrong with you? It's not him. You're made in God's image, and if you read Genesis chapter 1, God said he made you good. Now, we went and we messed up that image, but you need to understand that doesn't mean that God rejects us. God comes for us. That's what Jesus coming into the world is, is God comes for us to restore us to the goodness that we had at the beginning, and he does this first by delighting in us. God delights in us. That's why he came, is because he delights in you. And, And, you know, as a parent, when you have a child and when your child screws up, if you go to them and you tell them about the screw up and you lecture them about the screw up, you know what it usually does? drives the kid away. But when you go to them and you get on their side and they know that you're coming because you delight in them and you ask them how are they doing and then you talk about the problem together, then you often get a different result. Larry Crabb in his book, Connecting, he tells a story about this kid who grew up in a house that was really noisy and angry and, and there was always yelling and screaming and how this kid um, would always at dinner time he would run down the street to this other house and they had this big covered porch and they were a really really happy family and he said this kid at 10 would go and hide under the porch and listen to the way they delighted in each other and think 
I want to have a family like that someday. And, and listen, if, if I don't see how that God delights in me, I'll have a really hard time delighting in you. And so what we do is we, we simply pass on the delight. Then um, we see uh, the good first. Now, we're broken down. We've been broken in. We've been broken out. We've been hurt. And, and you've heard this before, I'm sure. But hurt people hurt people. That's sometimes why people are doing the things that do. They're hurt. They don't know what else to do, so they lash out. And we need someone to see past the hurt that I'm inflicting to who I really am. Um, during sabbatical, I read a book by this guy named George MacDonald. He wrote, he's written a ton of books. He's lived in the 1800s. And, um, but he wrote these two children's stories. And one of the, uh, they're wonderful, wonderful books. Um, very simple, but very profound at the same time. And one of the heroes is a boy by the name of Curdie. And Curdie is a miner's son. His dad works in a mine. And um, there, there's, a, there's a, a fairy godmother kind of character that represents, represents God in the story. And, and Curdie one day gets a bow and an arrow. And he has this bow and this arrow, and he, he's not thinking about what's good. And there's this white pigeon, and he sees this white pigeon. He takes the bow back, and he shoots the arrow at the pigeon and kills the pigeon. And then the fairy godmother shows up, the, the, the Christ character in the story. And she doesn't shame Curdie. She delights to see him. But she sees the goodness. You have to, you'd have to read the whole story to get the whole context of this. But then this is what, I'm going to quote you George MacDonald's words. That's what he says about Curdie. He had done the thing that was contrary to gladness. He was not the Curdie he had been meant to be. Do you see how that's seeing the good first? Have you ever killed the pigeon? And then you feel the shame of killing the pigeon? Um, Paul said it in Romans. He said, while we were yet sinners, when we'd done it wrong, Christ died for us. Do you understand what that saying is that God sees the good first and saw the good we'd lost and by love invited us back to it? And then this is the last thing if a life-giving church does, is we cover the bad while we deal with it. Now, I, you and I need someone to delight in us, to see who I really am and see who we really are and remind us of that. But we also need someone who won't look away from the bad. But we don't need someone to expose that to everybody. We need someone to cover that for us. You know how when you, your kids, if you have kids, when you go to the beach when they're little and they would play in the sand and then they get sand everywhere, right? And they, they start to say, Mommy, it itches. <laughs> And you're too far away from the bathrooms. Like, I don't want to drag everything there because that's so exhausting. And so what do you do? You take the big beach towel and you wrap the big beach towel around them while they uncover themselves. You, you don't say, just stand right here and let everybody on the beach see what you're going through. It'll be fine. No, no. You cover it up. Now, listen, when we're trying to help somebody, we usually start with how they screwed up. You know you really messed this up, right? You know you really got this wrong, and so we, uh, we think that by telling people how bad they are, that they'll change. And, and honestly, very good, very wonderful people who love Jesus use this strategy all the time. But what it communicates is, you're the problem. 
And so we think we can shame people into changing, but shame doesn't work like that. All shame does is builds walls inside of people. But grace delights in people, sees the good that they were meant to be, and makes a sacrifice for them, then goes to work helping them heal. And, and we just want to be a church that has a, like an ecosystem like that, where we pass on the delight, we see the good first, and then we cover things up. Now listen, we're doing this because Jesus did this for us. Jesus delighted in us. Jesus saw where we had gone wrong, but saw the good first and covers us while revealing the source of our pain. So in, in, in the language of this series, the message of Christianity is that Jesus wants to be your friend and he wants to invite you into his life-giving ecosystem that is the, the family of God, the church. And if you don't have Jesus as a friend in that way, you, it's, it's very tough to ever get to the place where you have other deep friendships. So I'm going to pray for us, and um, then we're going to go out here, and we're going to put this into practice this week of delighting and seeing the good and covering together, okay? Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Um, There is a level at which, God, we all long for a place in an environment where we're delighted in, where somebody, instead of seeing what's wrong with us, sees what's right in us, and where someone is willing to help us confront what hurts and even dumb decisions that we've made, but they cover us in the process. We long for this. And I know that's what the church is supposed to be. Thank you that this is such a life-giving place for so many people. And I pray, God, that um, as we consciously understand the elements that go into that kind of friendship ecosystem, as we, we recognize, oh, I've got to delight in that person. I've got to see the good first. I've got to cover that ugly, knit our hearts together. More of this, Lord, more of this, more of this. So thank you first that you have delighted in us, that our sin wasn't the reason for you to reject us, it was the reason that you came toward us and offered yourself on a cross on our behalf. And that you see what we can become when we have lost that vision ourselves. You still see it. It's still a beautiful image. It's still who you know we can become. And thank you that you don't leave us in our mess, but that you cover us while you help us deal with it. Thank you that you are the friend that we have. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so for my friends today who don't know you, don't have you as a friend, I pray this would be the moment when they say, Jesus, I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. I, I need that in my life. Come into my life at this moment. And walk with me as a friend. Show me how to do that with other people. So God, thank you for the means of grace, of friendship that you've given to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. We leave you with a blessing. You'll see people holding out their hands. Um, You can receive it this way. You're sent out to love God, to love people who are meant to become friends. And you're, you're sent now to serve the world in Jesus' name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See you next week.